For 20 years, I've been arguing that Ian Banks was one of our most important novelists, but until he announced that he was dying, I hadn't quite realised just how much I was counting on another Ian Banks book every year for the next 15 or 20 years. Frankly, I feel cheated, but I also feel privileged for the several occasions on which Ian gave us his time. This interview was the first of those meetings. It dates from 1995, and the book in question was Wit, a brilliant comedy and a wicked satire on religion. Almost nobody is horribly killed. Uh, or, no, uh, no, there's actually there's no murders. A zero, a zero uh, quotient on uh, on uh, horrendous murders in this this novel. I think I'm slipping. I'm getting old. I'm 41. I'm over the hill. Let's face it. You know. So I think if you if you do nothing but doom and gloom, then you can never surprise your readers. They know what to expect. You see, if you open one of my books, you're never sure whether the central character is going to live to the end or not. See, they might. If you knew they were going to die at the end, you know. Which, it does happen on occasion, whether it's the, the mainstream stuff or the science fiction, then you know, they're, they're sort of forewarned, they know what to expect. Is it true that, uh, that on the internet there's a discussion about Ian Banks' novels where somebody's written, uh, is this one going to be like all the others where there's only one character alive at the end? And, and the reply that somebody wrote back is, well, they're not all like that. Sometimes everybody's dead. Uh, yes, there is, actually. I've, I've seen it uh, verbatim. Yes, off, off the net. I've got, I'm not on the net myself yet. I'll, I'll get round to it. I've got the modem, you know. I'll, I'll get round to getting the software later. Um, yeah, I've got a good friend who keeps me informed. He's on the net and he lets me know what uh, the latest gossip is. You know, apparently I've now got a worldwide web page, a site, all of my own. Gosh, <laughs> yeah, what for? You could write that last, you know. You need to I need know, little brown I know, I'm not sure about it. I, think I've got, I, could find, I could find lots of ways of wasting my time, thank you very much, without you know, getting onto the net and you know, finding a whole new way. Um, so, yeah, apparently, yes, yeah, so that, 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 is, that is true. I think that was on a... Um, I think both those comments came from Americans, uh, people, people in, uh, and they're very serious-minded. Well, it's not so I think well, the, the Americans do you know, somewhat expect from their fiction, especially from science fiction, um, you know, a positive, upbeat, you know, sort of uh, message. And I feel a feel-good, feel-good thing at the end, you know, well, and certainly not killing off your central characters, which I do with not quite monotonous very well. But we'll talk about science fiction in a, in a minute. Let's talk first about about Wit, mm. which is uh, which is this new book, and it, it's comedy, yes, but it's also a satire, isn't it? I. See is is she, I thought she was sort of the uh, the Martian uh, brought down to Earth, so yeah, that, so that, that Ian Banks it, could yeah. send her into into the modern world that we're all familiar with mm-hmm. and confront her with things that we're used to, so that she can respond to them as a sort of an innocent and naive. Mm. That that was part of your intention. entirely. Yes, you got me banged to rights there, Gov. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I was actually trying to downplay that a little bit because I think you're kind of a, you know, a fish in a barrel situation when when you're sort of looking at modern oh, society. Yeah. It's I almost mean, too easy to satirise. CD satirize. player, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. first-class um, travel on a, a yeah, that sort of railway stuff. plane. I was trying, I was trying to um, uh, also get across that uh, ISIS actually was rather ambiguous about it, but um, that she actually does rather like technology in some ways, and there's a point where she, she's rather taken with um, a, a microfiche a combined microfiche um, a reader and photocopy or whatever. It's actually because it's mechanical. It's not, it's not entirely that's electronic. <laughs> the, the, the other thing about ISIS, which you obviously wanted to make clear, is that being ignorant of, of the modern world or being ignorant of anything doesn't mean you're stupid. ISIS oh, yeah. is very shrewd. Oh, very yeah, she's smart. quite wise in her own, you know, rather young but then slightly naive way. But she's actually, yeah, she's, she's actually a smart cookie, I think. Um, yes. In fact, she says she's a... Oh, is it a tough cookie, a, a, a she tough says cookie. Yeah, her, her uh, grandmother... Uh, I loved Yolanda. Yolanda. Yeah, all right, I was... 
where did she come from? America, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, but where did she come from in the embanks imagination? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes, I mean, I don't. She wasn't meant to be quite as you know vivacious as as, as that. But um, occasionally, you start writing something, uh, a character just sort of does take on rather more life than you, you expect. I mean, they don't usually do things. Well, I try to make sure they don't, you know, suddenly take on a life of their own and start doing things they're not supposed to, like surviving beyond the end of the chapter if they're supposed to die at the end of it. <laughs> uh, although, you know, other writers uh, I've talked to and I've, I've heard talk about that of writing. That's that is pretty well the way they write their books. They start off with no, you know, idea of what's going to happen or, or what, and um, and just take it from there, see what the characters do, which is an interesting. But I think for me, fatal way of writing because I would never stop. You know, I end up with a three million word book and still counting. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, Yolanda was uh, just developed into you know this uh, slightly bizarre character. The only thing I was a bit worried about was that she was kind of a sort of cultural cliche that she's American. She's terribly brash and she's always complaining about you know service and uh, you know and not being able to to hang a left on a on a red light or whatever. You know, that sort of stuff. Also, she yeah. she's that that kind of uh, that kind of snappy American grandma. She's she's mm. a pensioner and she's still full of life and wants to do all the all the exciting things. Yeah. That's that's all. I might be guilty of caricaturing there just a little. I'm not I'm not sure. Well, I wanted to talk some more about this religion because it it is great fun a lot of the comedy in the book comes from uh, this this cult religion who are uh, Luskentarians Luskentarians I'm not sure actually yes. there's, there's a place called Luskentire uh, in, in Harris in the Outer Hebrides yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it and, and they have of course they've got a, a, a complete theology one of one of the the heresies that were nailed quite early on is, is the heresy of size in which according to something that Grandad has said which uh, that uh, the soul the, is a radio receiver basically yeah something like that so that yeah. uh, the bigger the person is, your body is your soul. So yes, the, the bigger you are, the, the better you, the bigger you hear God. You represent really, yeah. Mm. But eventually they nail that. It's they not did, true, yes. mm, absolutely. Yes. Um, and and there are lots of stuff like that. The, the, also, the, um, the this old man Salvador, he's um, he he has very strong rules that God has handed down about who you're allowed to have sexual congress with, and uh, it can only be uh, one generation from you if if uh, if you want to sleep with younger people. Later on, as he becomes well, a, a Grandfather, irrevocably. Um, irrevocably. Later well, on, it turns out that it, two yeah. generations is okay. Nice God comes back yeah. and and, uh, and rearranges. Which for obviously it. had nothing to do with the fact he was getting older himself. You know, and obviously gorgeous, attractive uh, uh, young ladies him hanging his every word. Absolutely not. No, no, no. This just never happens in real life, in real religions either. And I'm glad glad to tell you. Be because of course that, they yeah. really are the word of God handed down. Of course, um, be, into somebody's ear. Knows that. Mm. Yes, even though they actually may appear to contradict each other at certain times as well. You, there's a strong hint in the book, though, that you 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 regard. Um, religious utterance and 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 uh, dogma as as probably uh, shall we say at least influenced by human desire and uh, uh, I'd say entirely actually yes I think it's about power I mean uh I was very one one you know one thing that did occur to me when I was watching um, you know, programs about uh, the um, Branch Davidian uh, law in Waco and David Koreshi was um, that this is a guy who had wanted to be a rock star uh, had actually tried to become a rock star you know could, could conceivably have, have done some kind of rock star looks and what you get when if you're a, you know, a real successful rock star you get stand on stage you're given absolute adulation you know in effect you are worship you know rock god you know um, as much sex as you want you know, uh, power over people's lives you know and that's exactly what he had in uh, in, in Waco he, uh, you, you could just say well I'm going to sleep with your wife tonight tough you know and the guy said yeah sure of course please sleep with her twice hey you have to um, and you know he, he, he had drugs there then he had complete power over people's people 
people's lives. Um, and he gave these sort of, uh, charismatic sort of readings, but he was performing. This guy was, he was a, you know, he was like a stand up or he was like a rock star. Uh, and just what it's really, it is actually all. I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I'm an evangelical atheist. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking of starting a sort of anti church that goes around and uh, we go down in twos and, um, and just land on people's doorsteps and go, have you found God? Like, don't you lose them, you know. But are you saying anything about faith in general then? Because yes. one of the points about Isis again is that although she learns all this stuff about her granddad who founded mm. the cult and who uh, gets the David Koresh uh, trip, if ever there was mm, one, yes. all the sex and drugs if he wanted them. Um, uh, and she, she also learns quite a lot about the, the way the cult is currently organised mm. and has her eyes open. Her faith is unshaken by the end of it. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I think it would be, it'd be naive of, of me to uh, assume that she's going to go, oh, it's a lot of nonsense, I've had to stop believing it. This, that isn't the way people work, you know, and uh, I, to the extent I wish that they did, but, you know, we all know this isn't this isn't how you know, how faith operates. I mean, faith is belief without reason, and that usually comes from what you've been told, certainly. Yeah, it's the old Jesuit thing about give us a child to the five, whatever it was, and they're ours for life, and there's an awful lot of truth in that. And people, I think, very often people who end up in cults, uh, they tend to have had a religious background in the first place, usually a sort of mainstream religious background where, you know, they've been sort of brought up kind of half-heartedly, as, usually as, as Christians, uh, usually with parents who don't believe that deeply and maybe don't believe at all, but it's, you know, it's a done thing to send you to go to church whatever now and again. Um, and so the, kind of the, the virus, you know, uh, what, what uh, Dawkins has called the, the meme of religious you know, faith and belief is in there, it's been implanted. And uh, when, you know, as often happens in you know, adolescent years, they decide that the world isn't such a wonderful place and they feel all insecure and all the rest. And they're looking for, it's the standard thing an awful lot of people do, which is wanting to stop having to make their own decisions and not take responsibility from their own lives. They suddenly find this cult that says, hey, come and join us. You don't have to make any more decisions. You just have to come and just do as you're told. You know, and life will be wonderful, you know. And the poor little beggars do it as well. So, yes, thoughts of Chairman Ian. Thank you very much. So how, how, how carefully did you organise, <laughs> did you think through the cult that you've got in your book? Because it's great fun. I mean, this, this is a very colourful one. Uh, whenever they travel anywhere, they have to take a board to sit on because they're not allowed to sit on anything soft. Well, yes. Um, there's also this 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 uh, four-yearly uh, event when they, they have a sort of free love festival, which is for spiritual reasons. Absolutely. But ISIS is aware that the outside world regards it as an orgy. Oh, of course, yes. And what that's trying to do, uh, I should explain, is that um, there's a particular, uh, for the same reason that uh, they, they try to keep out of uh, most contact with the modern world, the belief that you know, keeping to the, the instatuses of life, as it were, you know, out, out the way things uh, is, is holy. And the holiest thing of all is to be born on the 29th of February, right, on a leap year. So to try and, you know, up the odds for this a bit, they have a sort of this, you know, sort of, uh, quadrennial um, uh, uh, sort of orgy, basically, <laughs> if you want to call it that, um, uh, at the end of May, the, the year before the leap year. Uh, and that's, you know, kind of comes into the plot and so on. So uh, you're just trying to up the chances of uh, children being born on, on February 29th. And that's the way, as, uh, as Isis is, has been herself. You've been, I have no doubt you've been doing lots of interviews around... Uh, One or two. ...about wit. I'm going to ask you a question. I'll bet, this, I'll bet nobody's asked you this yet. There are lots of bridges in this book, and they're mostly disused or damaged or falling into disuetude. Was that deliberate, or was that just an accident? That I think it was an accident, keep writing bridges thank you. In? Thank you for pointing that out. That's probably one of these sort of things where... Years later, I'll read some, you know, read some uh, bit of critical research and say, well, obviously, bridges are used as a, you know, a failed communication, as a metaphor, and I'll go, God, yeah, I'm even more clever than I thought I was. You know, well, of course, you did write a, a book called The called Bridge. The Bridge, well, that's right. Which yeah. was set on a bridge. Mm, that's a metaphysical kind of bridge, yes. yes. Um, yeah, I hadn't noticed that, actually. Good point. God, I like it when that happens. God, yeah. Um, well, I'm, uh, just possibly it's my subconscious being clever, or just possibly it's just a coincidence. I know which one I'd rather go for. <laughs>
Well, of course, the bridge actually brings me on brilliantly to the next point, which is that uh, the, it, it, the bridge is almost it's a crossover between science fiction and mainstream yes, novel. No, that your, your publishers couldn't decide where to put that. And I, I wanted to ask you about the relationship between mainstream and science fiction. You're on record as, as, as uh, admitting that your intention was to be a genre writer of science fiction. Oh, yes, and that's that, what as, I as a sort of asked, compromise, yeah. you grudgingly wrote some mainstream books in order to get... Uh, well, one, published. it was a Wasp Factory, yeah, the then, but then I discovered I quite liked it, and actually it was... Um, um, there was a sort of battle in my in my head at the time when I was thinking about thinking about not writing a but thinking about writing the next book as a non SF novel before I wrote the Wasp Factory, and like there's, there's the hard line faction was sort of saying how dare you you're a science fiction writer you can't give up the cause and you know, sort of cheat on your chosen genre uh, just to try and you know get commercial success or whatever. And then there was a there was the, the pragmatic side. It was going well you know you want to be a writer that's the main thing you want to you want to you know, do what you love doing and get paid for it and get a book published you know, before you're thirty or whatever. And there are just more opportunities. No, there's more publishers who publish, you know, non-SF who do mainstream novels, and so you've got a better chance of doing that. Eventually, obviously, the pragmatist won. But then I did discover I quite liked doing both. Once I discovered I could do both, I thought, well, yeah, this is the way to do it. So I have to say that in, in the Wasp Factory, there is uh, one passage which, and no doubt everybody's drawn attention to it, is uh, just un, unfaceable. I, I, I can't, every so often I, I want to give people the Wasp Factory and say, read this, it's amazing. And then I go, but on the other hand, do I want to do that to you? Do I want to yes, inflict... This particular, this particular dark corner of Ian Banks' imagination on anybody I actually like. Quite and in the end, yes. I have to tell you, you've lost a lot of readers that way. Because <laughs> I, 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 well, what I, I do in the end is... Uh, you should bring out a cadet edition. <laughs> no, I'll give them Espadare Street instead. <laughs> and say, read this, read this yeah. instead. Because I, I, I think that's, Espadare Street is my favourite. It's a good introduction, I think, as well. Mm. Yeah. Which is your favourite? Uh, well, in technical terms, uh, definitely Bridge. I think it's, it's the best, you know, uh, best uh, in terms of the craft of the novel. I think it's definitely the best. Um, but I, mean, I feel most affection for, I don't know, possibly consider Fleavis, the first of the SF novels. I and mean, it's just, um, it's it's very shaped. It's a diametric opposite term to The Bridge, which is you know, you know very, very carefully sculpted and put together, whereas um, Fleavis is all over the place. Um, I don't know, maybe a very, very great affection for The Wasp Matches because it was. It was a book that made the difference. Um, and I think Crow Road, actually, the further away I get from it, and the more the more affection I feel for it. I remember just go back and looking at it as, you know, as, as a family saga. In I effect, thought the Crow you know, Road was, worked uh, extremely well. I quite enjoyed it. You know, I think I, I kind of disowned. I didn't disown it, but I, I used to sort of um, take it out a hard line about the fact it was a bit sort of you know soppy towards the end. But then so is pedestrian a wee bit. There's a degree of sentimentality in there, and I'm always very cynical, very. Um, very iffy about sentimentality and more than work. There's a line in uh, in Whit that reminded me. There's a line about a silk shirt in what looked like barcode tartan, which made me laugh and reminded me that there's it's it's almost exactly the same line except with different nouns from the Crow Road, where somebody's wearing a tie, which um, seems to owe most of its inspiration to Mandelbrot, oh, but yeah, could charitably right, yeah. be called Paisley. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's quite good. One, that. Uh, I've that. Yeah, yeah, that made me laugh. Made out me laugh. Well. Yeah. yeah. How narcissistic! I'm laughing at the one. <laughs> <laughs> well, have um, you forgotten the mural? Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I'd forgotten about the, about this thing. But yeah, um, yes, there's a similarity as well. Yeah, there's less politics, or politics is less upfront in wit than in some of your other books, but. Mm. I think I think I'd write. I'd be right in saying that uh, all, all writing is political for you, isn't it? Yes, I wish it was more so. In a way, I'm, I'm, I've never been very happy about my ability to actually get the politics in. I think it worked reasonably well, as well as uh, if I has in complicity. I think in complicity it was fairly you know, up, up front. I, I actually succeeded. Whereas like Canal Dreams, I was trying to do that and it didn't didn't really come off. I don't think. Uh, yeah, something like Whit, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really in, include politics um, in any obvious sense. I suppose you know, the whole thing about power and all the rest of it and, and manipulation then. At that basis, you know, a very basic level, I suppose it does, but no, not not on the surface.
Ian Banks' Whit, spelt W-H-I-T, which is the name of the lead character, is a little brown book, and it's a snip at £15.99.